0: Listener discretion advised by the sound contains salty language. So if you don't like that, turn it down now. No, now, like right now. Okay. Let's start this fucking show. <laughs>
1: And it took everything I had <laughs> not to shout, hold it like a dick, not an ice cream. <laughs> like, why, is so why, why is it so hard? Yeah. Why is it so hard?
0: Hold it like a dick, that's hilarious a little that's bit so heteronormative funny. though, or maybe not gay. No. It's no, le- it's not, not lesbian not. exclusive. No, man. No. That's not no, the it's we're yeah. I'm not even using not. the correct word. Nope. So yeah. you could say, hold it like a dick. Yeah, All right. yeah
1: I'm being specific. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm Listen, I'm learning. I'm on the Look, journey. There's a woman with a dick if,
2: in my bed if every you, single night.
0: Yep. I'm trying if, you, a, if
3: you like dicks, it does not matter your orientation. That's it's true. Mm-hmm. That's true.
0: If you so you it will make like sense dicks, to the majority really of yeah. people. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: true. <laughs> you can buy them at the store.
0: Exactly. <laughs> you can. That's true. They're accessible everywhere. Got one in the drawer right now. The sex store near you. Yeah.
2: Well, I'm glad we had this talk. (laughs) Um, From the Coast Salish land of Seattle, we're By The Sound, your community-invested podcast. Each episode, we speak with the brightest minds from Seattle and the Pacific Northwest. We discuss art and pop culture, as well as local news and politics. I'm Sarah May, sitting this week with Chelsea Alvarez and Aisha Hauser. This week, we meet with Seattle-based author Ijoma Oluo, She'll tell us about her new book, Mediocre, The Dangerous Legacy of White Male America. We'll also discuss the 2020 election, Virginia's ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment, and Danny Terrell's upcoming performance of Black Boys. This is By The Sound. Chelsea?
1: Yeah, what's up? Hi. Aisha?
0: Sarah, what's up? Hi, Chelsea. You're here. Off Hi, the shipping Aisha. container.
1: Off The shipping container, yeah, that's where you were last time we were
0: recording. So, you were, you've were you been a lot of places, um, <laughs> just to be clear. Yeah, and the last I, one was at a shipping container, maybe with rubber ducks. I don't know what, what was in it. We that I was speculating. I don't listen to the
1: episodes, I'm not shows. in.
0: Uh, I listen to the episodes and I curse a lot. Is that messed I say up a lot? I do,
1: you do, you I curse do. a lot.
0: Yeah,
2: we all do. As long as you rate, review, and subscribe, that's all I care <laughs> about, Chelsea. Yeah.
1: Um, but uh. I actually haven't done that either.
0: <gasps> Chelsea.
1: I d- I mean, can I? Isn't I that like know. voting for yourself? Can you? I want to get on
0: the Patreon page. Do I have to join? Or can I get on the page as a host, co-host?
1: Oh, uh, well, uh,
2: that is no, uh, Patreon <laughs> uh slash by the sound, uh patreon.com. For slash as little
1: as five dollars a month. Patreon.com slash B-Y-T-H-E-S-O-U-N-D. It's
2: very helpful. Thank you, Chelsea. So we're in Ejiomoh Luo's kitchen. We are, but it seems to me she gives a lot of interviews.
1: She does. Yeah, I bet she's sick of it.
2: <laughs> and like she, she goes places. She sits down with people. Uh, she's written on the internet. Like she's written on the internet. Yeah, lots of stuff about her life and work. Like everyone knows that. So I don't know. Maybe. But our... does she
0: ever talk about race? Is my question.
1: Um, <laughs> do you think she wants to talk about
0: race? So you want to talk about race?
1: Wait a minute. <clears throat> I just think it's more about class.
2: <laughs> so I was thinking maybe we should just like do a normal type show and, and Ijeoma can just chill with us. That so sounds that's- great. All right, let's do it. So our guest today is Ijeoma Oluo. Woo-hoo. She's a Seattle-based writer, speaker, and internet yeller. Her work on social issues such as race and gender has been published in several national, international, and local publications. Her first book, So You Want to Talk About Race, became a New York Times bestseller. Igeoma was named one of the most influential people in Seattle by Seattle Magazine, one of the 50 Most Influential Women in Seattle by Seattle Met, and one of The Roots' 100 Most Influential Americans in 2017. And 2018.
1: Damn. Mm-hmm.
2: But more importantly, Igioma has been highly influential at this table. Mm-hmm. I would not have met Chelsea or Aisha if Igioma hadn't brought us all together. So, By the Sound, as we know it, would not exist mm-hmm. if not for her. Igioma, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you. I'm so happy to be here in my kitchen. We're so happy to be here in the kitchen. (laughs) Thank you. We're so happy.
2: Something else you did, Ijeoma, that helped create this podcast was about three years ago. You posted on Facebook about how, in the age of Trump, we would be well advised to be looking inward at local community, at building our own community, at looking at our own local politics. Uh, I doubt you'll even remember the post, but it made a, a a really strong impact on me and where I've tried to bring my focus in the time since, and that has a lot to do with this podcast. So thanks for that.
3: Oh, thank you. No, I don't remember saying that, but it sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like something I'd say.
2: So how are you doing?
3: I'm good. I'm good. You know, um, I've been home for a month, which is the longest I've been home in two years. And I'm heading out to Minnesota tomorrow, but, um, it's been nice to be home with family, working, writing, you know, kind of avoiding writing, um, I'm doing I'm doing good as good as can be. It's weird to have things personally going great when the world is absolutely on fire. Um, but you know what, as a black woman, I'll take what I can and celebrate Get it. everything that's working in my life the
1: way it's supposed to. So what's your favorite way to avoid writing? Oh my gosh.
3: Um, I mean, makeup's definitely a part of it, mm-hmm. right? I, I spend a lot of time putting makeup on. Um, the internet's always really helpful when you want to avoid writing. But also I find just anything else that you have to do or might need to do that's yeah. on your computer when you open it up um, is a great thing to distract you from the writing you're supposed to be doing. And um. YouTube. And research. Research is a oh, great yeah. way, right? It's great to fall down a rabbit hole mm-hmm. of one question you might have about a thing you're writing, and then four hours later, you're on a completely different planet from where you started. <laughs> so um, if you want to avoid writing, it's very easy thing to do.
0: you ever tried to write and turn? Because what I try to do when I'm writing sometimes is turn off the internet and just have Word. But then that makes me sad, so that only lasts about 10 yeah, minutes. Yeah, I've, I've,
1: <laughs> I've never heard of that.
3: Yeah, I know, I don't know what you – are you talking about?
1: God, Turn so extreme the internet. <laughs> oh, my gosh.
3: Well, well,
0: put it on airplane mode. What
1: about – your phone is there, though.
0: Okay. No, I put that on – that's true. You know what? Oh, my God, that's the loophole, isn't it?
3: Yeah, no, I
1: don't do any
3: of that. Um, that sounds horrible. I <laughs> – I don't now what I actually do try to do because I do have a d d um and many writers do actually yeah. it's you know it's 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 one of those things that makes you really good for writing sometimes um but it's never good for writing books um it's always great for <laughs> articles, never good for writing books or for invoicing or getting paid for you know any right. of those things. Um, is I set timers when I actually need to get things done. So, Ooh, do you
1: Pomodoro? Um,
3: I say I don't, I don't know what I don't know what that
1: means. It's <laughs> like a it's like a time management tool where you use um, like a kitchen timer and just set it for like I guess.
3: Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I I usually do I do thirty minutes. So usually what I have is, like, certain games I play on my computer that are kind of brain-stimulating. And so I'll do 30 minutes of writing, then I'll play one of these games so it can keeps my brain going and I don't fall into a rabbit hole that will, like, an hour later I'm still doing something for writing. And so when I really, really, like, I'm coming up on a deadline, I can do that for, like six, seven hours, I can do that half hour and then like 10, 15 minutes of a puzzle, half hour, 10, you know, and that's really, I can't, my brain can't do more than a half hour um, at a time. Yeah. So that's, that's usually what I do when I absolutely have to get through a larger project. If I'm writing an essay, I can knock a whole essay out, you know, in an hour, an hour and a half, and I'll just work through it, but then I'll take a nap. Like my brain gets so exhausted. Um, yeah. But you know, ADD. Are you saving all your essay energy now for the book? Uh, yeah. And I miss it. I miss Mm. writing essays. I really, really do. Um, but yeah, I don't have it in me anytime I, in this last year where I've taken on additional essay work, I've really regretted it because, (laughs) um, it's just so hard then to get back into a long form state of mind. It's a completely different writing process to write an essay, uh, unless you're writing a book of essays. Um, Versus a book, and so getting back to instead of let's see how concise I can be to let's see if I can make this into twenty thousand words, uh, you know, is a completely different way to write. You could write a book of essays. I could, but that's not what, what I did. What you're doing?
0: <laughs> you could go back in time, Jomo. Come on now,
3: you're a Jomo Luo.
0: Need to tell me you can't go back in time? Come on now. <laughs> is your book done? Your second one?
3: No, oh, okay. it's not. So we're in edits, um, and yeah, so just still working away, plugging. It's such a—it's a huge departure. I mean, we're still dealing with issues of race in America, but stylistically, it's a huge departure from my last book. Um, in what way? Can you well, say? I mean, so you want to? Yeah. So the book is called "Mediocre of Dangerous Legacy of White Male America." Um, the first book, so you want to talk about race, was really looking at things that were really in my wheelhouse, Mm. right? Of course, I had to do a lot of research for the book. I learned a lot in writing the book. But a lot of the subjects and knowing what I needed to include was because I had been talking and teaching and writing on Mm. this for so long. But I haven't written a history book, you know? Mm. Um, And and that's really kind of what this is in a way. Because it's really looking at the last... uh, 200 years or so 150, 200 years of the legacy of white male America and white white male supremacy in America uh, and what it does in various aspects of the country. And so just stylistically, it's completely different. It's not my narrative, it's not my narrative, my history. And yet I'm there, of course. um, And, you know, I have a whole chapter about football in America, you know? I'm so glad. Somebody
0: needed to write that.
3: You know, there's no history of me in that, other Mm -hmm. than the time my mom signed me up for flag football, which I do write a little bit about in there. Wait, Um,
1: what? Yeah. What was the thinking behind that? Oh, you know, the amount of
3: times I look back at my childhood (laughs) and think... (laughs) Gee, Mom, what was the thinking behind that?
1: What was the reasoning? I mean, there? if we're going
3: to if we're going to get answers, that's like way down on the list of things I need answers for.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Why did you sign me up for flag football? Why was I the only black person and the only girl in the league? And, and, and I hated sports. Yeah, I just <laughs>
0: You know, knowing knowing your mom not as deeply as I'd like to one day, but just having been around her so much in the last couple of years, my theory is this: she heard something either on the radio or read something about how great flag football is, and decided it would be great for you. Yeah, I don't know.
3: <laughs> I have no idea. I think it was affordable. I think that was oh, the first. Oh, that's true. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, yeah. Outside of that, I don't know why. I don't know. She
1: could have just not. And everything would have been great. Yeah. Um, okay, so that. I'm hearing your words, but I am also uh, visually transfixed by your highlighter.
3: Oh, yes. What? This is Pat McGrath. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. So it's that trio. I used to have the original ones. Mm-hmm. You know, she used to do these really cool, like, artsy releases that were really cheap packaging. And you, she would do like 5,000 things and then they were gone forever and people would like pay a ton yes. of money. So when she re-released the highlighter, I got one, but then the cheap packaging came out to bite me in the ass because it fell apart. Ah. And so then I bought one of the three pan ones. So it's, she has this green gold that like you can't find anywhere it's else. It's stunning. such a unique color. Thank you.
2: This reminds me though, I wanted to ask Ijeoma, um, your, the write up, the, the press kit, the, the thing that your assistant sends out that uh, describes you on your book. Nowhere do I see the word model. And yet it, it seems that you've become a model. Yeah.
3: Yeah. No. Um, yeah. And I like makeup. You know, what's so funny is I think when I realized that, cause you know, for me, the makeup's just for me. Right. Yeah. And I share it. Cause I'm like super proud of these art things I've done. I'm like, Oh my mm-hmm. gosh, look at this thing I made. Right. Like yeah. it's my face, but like, cool. I did this. Right. And I, I had it. I didn't realize the impact it was having on people until a couple years ago I was speaking in New York and I was on this panel of black women were talking about issues, you know, that black women face around me too. And this woman came up to me afterwards and she was like, I came here cause I follow you on Instagram. I had no idea you were a writer. <laughs> <laughs> That's Awesome. That's not surprising. (laughs) And it cracks me up because the amount of people, like, I have an event coming up the other day, like, this actual, like, organization was like, what makeup look will she be wearing at this event? Oh, wow.
1: And like, people come up and
3: they're like, I just wanted to see what your eyes look like. Um, but for me, it's just so much fun. It's, and it really is a huge part of my day and self care I spend. All day, like delving into some of the absolute worst of humanity, you know, and it's, it takes a lot out of you. And I think when you can start your day with just like pure self care, self love and, and whatever that looks like, you know, just dedicating time to like putting some art on your face. If you like that, then it's a good way to start. When it doesn't work out, like my day is ruined. I was PMSing <laughs> last week so bad and I didn't like the way my makeup looked and we were in a hurry and I, actually started crying. Like I was just like in such a bad mood it had so, it ruined my day so much that I actually had to in the middle of the day. It's like, no, fuck it. I'm redoing it. I'm going to wash my face and and yeah. do this over because it it was about my experience. Like no one saw me. It was just me sitting around the house like having missed out on that personal experience of like being like I made a pretty thing. I made a cool looking mm-hmm. thing. Um, and, and Gabriel was looking at me like, "Okay." As I'm in the mirror, I was like, "Has my face always looked like this?" He's <laughs> like, "Well, it's not usually that distraught. Like, <laughs> usually you look happier." Aww. I don't know how I'm supposed to answer this question. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just a huge. It is a big part of my day, and I love it. Like, it has brought. I think it's kind of, you know, I think anything you can do when, especially in, a, in if you do really hard work. And this is for anything, right? Even if you're, if you're working in a cubicle and you hate everyone, if you're just a black woman trying to get by in the world, having a period of time where you have something that you love to do that kind of pushes everything out yeah, is so important. And so that's kind of what that thing is for me, right? My kids, I can't hear whatever, you know, unless someone's dying, like no one can break that bubble
1: <clears throat> that I'm
3: in and mm-hmm. it really helps.
1: Yeah. I have the same thing with skincare. Makeup I can't really get all the way into because my hands just don't do the things <laughs> that are required of like a serious eye look, but I will stop everything to uh put shit on my face for 20 minutes. I love that lip color though. It's beautiful. It's Fenty. It's the Which Fenty is it? Uncensored.
3: Oh, really? You know I never mm-hmm. got that one cuz I have so many reds.
1: Uh, uh it's perfect. It's the it's, it's beautiful. the it's the only one I really like. Wear I have many reds, but this is like this is my go-to, and it looks good on literally everyone. Yeah, no, it looks like it, I don't understand a really how that works. Red. I don't understand the science of that. I feel
3: like that is such a beautiful, slightly warm red. I think people are okay. So I'm gonna geek out for one second Let's about go. makeup. Everyone's like, oh, I need a cool tone or I need a warm tone. The truth is, is everyone's skin is yellow at some base, right? So no matter what, even if you're an English rose, you have more yellow to your skin Mm -hmm. than anything else, but people are afraid of it. So even you, Sarah, more yellow to your skin, everyone, yellow to their skin. This is blowing my mind. And people, like we used to think that you wanted to highlight the paleness of skin, right? This is all like white supremacy, weird nonsense, right? People would artificially make their skin look rosier, make it look paler. Everyone has more yellow than than pink or than blue. And so anything even with a hint of yellow is going to be more universally flattering than anything else. Uh, and that red, I can even see it on your skin, mm-hmm. has the tiniest bit of yellow in it that I could see it working on anyone. It's not a ton. So if you are pale and, you know, don't want to look too yellow, yeah. it's it's going to work. but. People are always afraid of like, you know, people were mad because things went really warm. But, you know, there's a difference between orange
1: and things that just have a little tint of yellow. Okay. Now can you make bronzer make sense to me? (laughs) I don't understand bronzer. I mean, bronzer
3: is really about, well, it depends on how you wear it. So a lot of people wear it incorrectly because a lot of people just want to contour with their bronzer. Mm. Right? So it depends on what you're trying to do. I'm wearing a shit ton of bronzer right Are now. you? Oh yeah. But where I'm wearing it is, so when I contour, I use a contour. Right? Yeah. And my contour is right, like my, right under my cheekbones and, you know, like my, my chin. Bronzer is about mimicking what the sun would do. So when I do a bronzer, I put it over the top of my cheeks like this. I put it over the bridge of my nose. I put it across the high pine of my forehead and I put it on my chin. And so in the middle of the winter, I look like I got a little sun and it just increases like the glow and the contours of your face. All of it's to really make it look like when you're wearing foundation, Like your face isn't a pancake because we're getting rid of all of the natural shade variations on our skin.
1: So I was reading a book with my kids the other day and it like made some reference to Grace Kelly. And they were like, who's Grace Kelly? And I was like, oh, she was an actress. She was a princess. Yada yada. And they're like, well, what did she look like? So we looked up a picture of Grace Kelly, and they were like, why is her face flat? Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is just a pre-contour face. They don't exactly. know what that. <laughs> they don't mm-hmm. know what that looks like. Like they're not used to seeing like what was considered the most beautiful face in like what 1950. It
0: is flat. Four? Oh it's my fucking gosh. flat. They're very observant. I wouldn't. I mean, as soon as you said it, I, you know, her face. I'm like, oh.
3: Yeah, I think like what we look at has evolved, right? So if you see people without makeup, their face doesn't look flat, right? Because we have all these natural shade variations. The sun hits us in different ways. Yep, We grew up in pre-contoured faces, Mm. but we grew up as it came along. And then suddenly we're like, oh, you know, when we think about it, right? Kevin Aquan was the early 90s really talking about contouring. That was the first time that was really brought onto the stage. And it was still only like celebrity red carpet looks. But that was the first time we started talking about it. And then uh, it wasn't until really Kim Kardashian posted that photo um, that Mario did of her extreme contouring that people were like, wait, you can do this to your face. And this (laughs) is how, this is how people look like. And then everyone wanted to do it. But then it became so ubiquitous, right, that we see it everywhere. And we're like, oh my gosh, everyone's nose. And I hate part of it. I really hate part of it because – A, a lot of it is really steeped in white supremacy and fat shaming, right? Yeah, a lot of it's fat We shouldn't have wide noses. We shouldn't have chubby cheeks. Everything needs to be chiseled. For some reason, no one can have a forehead. (laughs) Like, I don't (laughs) understand. I know. And I love, like, what I love makeup for is, like, celebrating features, right? Mm -hmm. Now, of course, we all have things we're Mm self-conscious about, right? But the question is... Like, what I always like to say is, like, who told you this? Right. So, at what point did you look in the mirror and was like, oh, my God, I need less of a nose and I need less of a forehead and I need um, more under eye? You know, like, who?
2: Well, it it was my understanding that um, contouring was first developed by transgender women and that, you know, there is a safety behind it. I don't have sources for this. This is, this is just the lore uh, that it was uh, something to, you know, better pass. Mm
3: -hmm. I would say it depends. I think, I think style wise. So when we look at the history of contouring, I'd say, first and foremost, it was stage makeup, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So you're on stage, you're under a bright light. Your face literally looks like a moon. If people aren't drawing in dark stripes to give your face structure, right? So that's where like the earliest, Came from, and then I would say where it started in regular practice was in the drag scene, yeah,
1: Mm.
3: and 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 in trans communities, right? To you know work through these different looks. Some of it was for passing, some of it was for you know culture, club life, you know things like that. And it was not, and and that's likely partially where Kevin Aquant came from, part of it too, right? Art school, and then also learning a lot from drag culture and you know things like that, but there's always been these kind of parallel paths. And of course these communities, right? Theater community, Mm -hmm. gay community. Yeah. A lot of overlap there in the Venn diagram
0: of those
3: three. So this like very extreme contouring and like things like baking Absolutely. Ooh, yeah. you know, Even the use of setting sprays, right? That's the old where people used to take literal hairspray before a drag show because that alcohol would dry everything down to the point that nothing would budge. Um, I just hope everything everyone does with their face they're doing because they love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, we all have different things we have to do to get by. We have different job requirements, different things that make us feel safe, make us feel happy. But I really hope that at least when we look in the mirror, like I'm constantly looking and these voices go on and I'm saying, okay, who told me this? Who told me I had to feel this way about my face who told me I had to feel this way about my body and it doesn't mean it e- eradicates everything but at least there should be something saying it shouldn't feel that way yeah and I try when I put my makeup on for my decisions to be based in what I know to be true about myself Um, and that's a totally different story than other things and so a lot of people reach out to me for questions and I can see all the lies they've been told. Like even when I post a picture, people say, oh, I wish I could wear that. Oh, I wish I could. I can't get away with that color. Oh, I can't get away. Why? Who told you? What do you mean? What's what will happen? What will happen if you put a red lip? On? Yeah. <laughs> you know What will happen if you tried something colorful? If you like it, do it, you know? Um, but of course that goes to how I think, especially women and femmes and anyone, you know, who wants to, to be beautiful or feel beautiful, there's these requirements of how that's supposed to look, that are just lies. Yeah, people told.
1: You know what I think really hit me in a weird deep place as a kid is that moment in The Little Mermaid where Ursula the sea witch takes some kind of sea creature and squeezes it, and like that's her lipstick and just mm-hmm. on her mouth. It's like I wanted to be Ursula the sea witch when I grew up. And I feel like I'm pretty Chelsea, successful.
2: <laughs> You're living the dream.
1: <laughs> but it's like, if this like beautiful, uh, powerful sea witch femme can wear just some like gross little creature that she <laughs> picked up off of her floor. And make it work. And make it work. Like I can work a red lip. Right.
3: Yeah. I mean, she's a, Purple octopus, and she is. I would dare anyone to try to say anything to her face about how she looks, because she goes out feeling fabulous every day, and I can't imagine you could say anything that would impact her in any particular way.
2: Well, whether it's makeup or clothing, I'm just very appreciative for anybody who, you know, puts in an effort to uh, do something uh, different or bold or bring the the beauty of their style to the world. It just it makes me smile when I'm out there and I see folks that who don't blend in to the background. <laughs>
1: you know, it's a it's a service. It is
2: a service. It's a service.
1: Yeah. People out here. I mean, it's called serving looks yeah. for yeah, a reason. That's true. Yeah, it's it, a it true makes people, service. It makes people happy. It sure does.
3: You know what's been funny about the whole thing was this was all purely for me. And living in Seattle, it it stands out, right? Uh, because in Seattle, you have your fancy jeans. And your regular jeans, right? And and that's how you know whether you're at a wedding or not, right? Is so whether or not true. people are wearing their fancy jeans. Yeah. Um, and
2: I haven't worn pants in about four years. Thank you very much. <laughs>
3: <but> <laughs> you know, and I'm just like I've always loved fashion. My brother too. I remember, you know, my brother and I worked a lot of jobs together, and it would be like, you know, you don't have to wear a tie here, and he's like, I like ties. Um, but the amount of people who come up to me and talk to me about what it means to them to just honestly see a woman and particularly a black woman dress for herself or to know that you could do that and ignore any claims that it means you need to be taken less seriously that, you know, um, so often I think, especially in feminist circles, women are told they have to give up any desire to look away that pleases them. Um, if they want people to listen to them or that it's anti-feminist or, you know, people still try me regularly, but I'm enjoying myself. And for a lot of people, that means a lot to realize like, oh my gosh, I can still partake in these things I want to. And I don't actually have to feel guilty about it. I can do it all for myself um, or not. Right. And I think for, you know, I had my friend Emmett um Emmett Montgomery who I adore he was saying how he always loves to watch my makeup videos whenever sometimes I'll live stream and talk about like feminism and stuff while I put makeup on um and he loves watching them not because he ever wants to wear makeup but because he likes knowing that someone who's known for one thing can very publicly do something just because Mm -hmm. they want to um and I think that for women and especially for women of color, a lot of times we're told that if we want to break free from constraints, we have to do everything in reaction to those constraints. Mm. And for me, freedom looks like living authentically no matter what. And even if some of that looks the way that people want things to look. So, you know, um, and if some of it doesn't, so, you know, it's, it's about living free and it's, you know, Bodily autonomy is so tied to, you know, root issues around feminism. And part of that too is just how you want to present to the world. And so I don't believe that we make progress by saying that all women have to look a particular way to be taken seriously or women who look a particular way can't be taken seriously. Um, I believe that we make progress by saying that you, you're taken seriously because you're a human being and whatever you want to do as far as how you look... On you. You can wear a clown suit all day, and still people should listen to you, you know.
1: Sarah. Chelsea. When you say that By the Sound is a community-invested podcast, what does that mean for our guests?
2: It means that we pay them. Every guest interviewed is paid an appearance fee.
1: Is it normal for podcasts to be their guests?
2: No. People say all the time that our time is our most valuable commodity, and yet most guests on radio and podcasts aren't paid a dime for their appearances. Huh. Our show's supporters who donate on Patreon help us to pay our local guests, and in doing so, they're investing in our local community.
1: Are there other ways our Patreon supporters can help us pay our local guests?
2: Yes. By the sound, community members who sign up for the Discovery, Westlake, or Gasworks membership levels are able to designate their first one to two months donations to a particular local guest of their choosing. (laughs) If we are able to get an interview with the person they've chosen, then that guest will receive the amount that was pledged for them in addition to our normal guest payment. This is a great way for fans of the podcast to help us choose our guest, create a platform for interesting local people to share their voices, and to reinvest in our own community.
1: Nice. How do listeners get in on this deal?
2: They can visit bythesound.net and click the donate button. That's bythesound.net. Or they can go directly to patreon.com/bythesound. That's p a t r e o n.com. Slash by the sound. By the sound is having its first community meetup. It will be open to hosts and guests and our uh, supporters on Patreon who are supporting the show with ten dollars or more per month. And it's going to be.
0: Don't tell people where they have to join.
2: Yeah, I mean that's part of the deal. Like you join and and uh, you 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 get an invitation. Uh I, I will say it is going to be uh, right before a really exciting show mm-hmm. coming up. It'll be uh, at the Moore Theater on Valentine's Day. It's Black Boys by Danny Terrell. And I'm saying voice because it's spelled like, you know, W.E.B. Du Bois. I don't know how to begin describing it as I haven't seen it other than what's available on their website for the show, which will be going into the show notes, but Ijama saw it or something a lot like it uh, in an earlier incarnation. Can you tell us about that?
3: Yeah, I I saw Black Boys when it was at on the boards a couple of years ago, and it was so beautiful. If you get a chance to get tickets, oh my god, please see it because like I I took my sons with me. Um, I took my my younger son with me, and it's a beautiful exploration through dance of black masculinity and Black queerness, and Black gender fluidity. And it's so beautiful, and at times very, very, very painful, extremely affirming. And just the movement and the beauty of these black bodies and expression and honest discussion through dance of identity and pain and triumph It's it's just beautiful and it has some lovely spoken word as well it mixed in with it and beautiful music and art you know I it was so funny because I think my son was nine or ten at the time and watching him move around in his seat Watching these people who looked like him move around so free and to see such a beautiful, open, and free model of Black masculinity, um, Black manhood, was such a great gift. He he loved it. I loved it. I immediately wanted to see it again. I was immediately heartbroken for everyone who hadn't gotten tickets. Like, I wanted it—I remember going right up to Danny afterwards and being like, (laughs) What do you need to do more of these like oh my God, how can I help what what needs to happen because it was it was so stunning, it really was stunning, and I think that everyone should see it, but I think, and I think especially for the black community it's it's such a huge, huge gift to see ourselves and to see this experience given such love and care, I just, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I can't speak highly enough of it. I can't recommend it highly enough. The moment I saw on Facebook tickets were out, it was like six in the morning and I immediately bought four tickets without even asking anyone else in the house (laughs) if they were busy. I was like, we are going. I was so excited for it.
0: Yeah. I bought tickets after you posted, so yeah. the three of us are going, unless you're not here. You're I oh, No, I'm going. She's going, container. yeah, the, the oh, good. So three of not... us
2: are going. It's um, okay. one night only. It is only a February Valentine's 14th. Um, I believe the show's starting at 7.30 on Valentine's Day evening at the Moore Theater.
1: Last Valentine's Day, I spent alone in my bed listening to raccoons fucking on my roof. Sarah, Chelsea, when you say that by the sound is a community invested podcast, what does that mean for our listeners?
2: Ah, glad you asked. It means that in addition to hearing our conversations about local issues and interviews with our most interesting Seattle area neighbors, fans of the show can join our listener community online by supporting the podcast on Patreon. Doing so will unlock access to our private Facebook group.
1: What are we posting in the Facebook group?
2: (laughs) Well, in addition to exclusive previews about what we'll be discussing on the show, we offer a curated stream of the best and most provocative local news stories each day.
1: That's dope. How much will it cost to join?
2: Our online community membership is available to all patrons starting at $5 per month.
1: How else can fans of the show invest in this community?
2: Our supporters on Patreon, who contribute $10 or more per month, will receive exclusive invitations to By The Sound meetups at Seattle area coffee shops, bars, and parks, where they could meet By The Sound co-host, guests, and other local fans of the show.
1: Sweet. Where should listeners go to donate?
2: They can visit ByTheSound.net and click on the donate button. That's ByTheSound.net. Or go directly to patreon.com slash by That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n. Dot com slash by the sound. So is is Gabriel the first like normal person you've dated?
3: uh? Uh, I've dated a couple. Like I dated a therapist once and she was really lovely and wonderful. Um, Ditto. And yeah, that's it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No. um, Yeah. I mean, (laughs) normal. Gabriel's beautiful and amazing and wonderful. And I love him. Normal. Um, And
0: your fiance. Can we say that?
3: And and my fiancé, yes. And um, yeah, definitely the healthiest person I've been with. And like, we laugh a lot. Like, that's what we do mostly is laugh all the time. He's always making me laugh.
2: You seem very in love. Yeah. Which I remember I I went to one of your events at Town Hall once, and a question that came up um, somehow was about if you had ever been in love. And you replied that you hadn't. And it was one of the... I, I just I felt I I wanted that for you so badly. It was one of the hardest things to hear.
3: Yeah. <laughs> You know, I didn't even think it existed, honestly. I thought it was like a con, yeah. um, a weird chemical brain thing. Yeah, that's where I'm at. And yeah, I, and I even like, as it was happening, as it was falling, as I was falling in love, I was ranting. i was like, this is bullshit. What is this? <laughs> it doesn't make any fucking sense. It's just because my brain doesn't want me to like get eaten by bears, you know, and... Uh, but yeah, no, and it was weird. I mean, I was perfectly happy too. And I hope that I want people to understand that too. Part of the reason why I was fine with never having fallen in love was that I don't I think that we're sold this idea that love has to look a certain way, right? And it makes us discount the love we have of friends and family and um and children and all of this, you know. And and the love I had in my life was abundant. And the love I had for myself was abundant. Um, and so I was incredibly happy and, and would have been honestly. Um, now, of course, if anything were to happen to Gabriel, I would just completely fall apart, but that's how that works. You know, like you're happy yeah. without yeah. kids and you have kids and suddenly you're like, Oh crap. Now I'm doomed. You know? <sighs> yeah. Um, and yeah, it's been amazing and and weird to just, I don't know, spend every day, like, especially the work I do. I don't have to explain anything. Right. You know, I don't have to explain what it's like to be a black person in this world. He knows. And he's always trying to make me laugh and smile and giving support and getting fired up. You know, I always, I always thought if there was a chance I was going to fall in love, it was going to be with someone who was more likely to burn shit down than me. And he's definitely more likely to burn <laughs> shit down than me. And, and at the same time, like, I'm always joking. Um, but it's completely true. If you were to like, look at like his search history on like Instagram or Google it's going to be 50% like rappers and rap lyrics cuz he's a rapper and the other 50 is going to be cute animal videos like that's <laughs> kind of the intersection he lives at right and um and he loves the kids he's you know just oh he taught my son how to skateboard um and it's always like you know we'll be hanging out watch TV and he'd be like, oh my gosh, I wonder what the kids are doing. And I'm like, why? You know, because I'm, I'm like, I'm used to that. fine. You know. Um, he's a
0: very kind person. Oh like, my he's God. genuinely a kind hearted person.
3: I would say like he and my mom, yes. and sometimes he and my mom are very similar in ways that cracks me up, are two, the two kindest people I know in
1: the world. Yeah, like, I mean, there was that time he signed you up for flag football. <laughs>
2: So on Wednesday, the Virginia legislature passed the Equal Rights Amendment, which was first passed by Congress in 1972. And just so we know what we're talking about here, I'd like to read the amendments itself. It's really short. It starts out with some preamble that is, it says, uh, resolved by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States of America, blah, 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 blah uh three-fourths of the several states within seven years from the date of its submission by the Congress. So uh in the legislation they passed, they were saying that it would need to be ratified by three-quarters of the states per usual, but that it would need to happen within seven years. And then later in the 1970s, that deadline was extended to 1982. So here's what it the the meat of the Equal Rights Amendment. It says, Section 1, equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. Section 2, the Congress shall have the power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article. Section 3, this amendment shall take effect two years after the date of ratification. So, if you believe that Virginia becoming the thirty eighth state now in, in twenty twenty means the amendment has been ratified, then we could expect this to become the uh, i believe twenty eighth amendment to the u s constitution in January of twenty twenty two The plot thickens because four of the thirty eight that that ratified it um went on later to rescind. <gasps> their ratifications. Those, of
0: course they did.
2: Those states Fuckers. were Nebraska, Tennessee, Idaho, and Kentucky.
0: Predictably. To sur- sur- surprises no one <laughs> at this table. For so, fuck's sake.
2: <laughs> yeah. But the Constitution, although it tells us how it can be ratified... It does not...
0: No, take-backsies is what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, it doesn't,
2: it doesn't provide any provision for take-backsies. You know, all these legislatures did get the language and then ratified it saying, yeah, this should be part of the Constitution. Uh, one would think, like, given how the Constitution has changed over the years, that the backsies part would need to come in the form of an additional amendment that would nullify, override, nullify. Uh, the prior amendment as we we've seen with some other things like uh, uh prohibition, I believe.
0: But here's the thing about that, first of all, this this is like to me indicative of how fucked up this country is. So at no like the fact that it was even like a big deal to get to 35 in the 70s after the civil rights movement and it wasn't a given that it was like 48. I'll give two fucking states that they just opted out. But the fact that it was only 35 pisses me the fuck off and it continues the bullshit of this country. So sure, here we are now in 2020, and we still haven't passed the equal fucking rights amendment. Hello. And mind you, the Mormons played a huge role in crushing it and making sure states didn't ratify it. So we need to be clear that there's been a concerted effort to make sure that nothing in writing says that we're fucking equal.
3: Give me a fucking break. I mean, it doesn't surprise me in the slightest, especially I'm I'm actually surprised we got this state because in recent time there's been a double down on like this i mean how many times have have any of us been told on the internet that the wage gap doesn't exist <laughs> oh man right mm-hmm. or that like white men are the most threatened you know people in the society the most oppressed because yeah. um, we're constantly right now what's popular right now is to remake history right is to re we're constantly rewriting history what we're the the narrative that pays for conservative circles and honestly even quite a few liberal circles is the thought that we have already overcorrected right and (laughs) that you know uh, that this quote-unquote identity politics that centers women is taking away from white men I I think that we have a much longer harder road ahead especially right now than we think we do yeah a hundred percent
2: Well, uh, but ratification of the ERA, uh, would really help. It has been challenged. It was even challenged before, uh, in the weeks before the Virginia legislature ratified it by, uh, I believe it's the states of, uh, Alabama, uh, South Dakota and Louisiana that their, their point is that it didn't make it in within the deadline that was established in the legislation from Congress. However, it seems pretty clear to me to argue that, The Constitution doesn't say anything about deadlines and that that could be a Tenth Amendment violation in, you know, establishing, like, a limitation on the states.
0: What are people saying against the Equal Fucking Rights Amendment in 2020? It really says all you need to know about this country. Like, what's the argument against it? Seriously, I'm—
2: I can tell you the motivation beyond what we typically think of because we we usually think of the Equal rights Amendment um as being you know in terms of things like you know the gender pay gap. Mm-hmm. you know currently women aren't in the Constitution they are essentially uh in a legal state of being represented by men. Mm-hmm. You know, serving the, uh, presumably serving the interests of women. And a legal apparatus is built up around it that's an, it now empowers women, but that legal apparatus is subject to something called medium scrutiny instead of the strict scrutiny that constitutionally prescribed rights uh, empower. Um, and, but this is going to be a big fucking deal for LGBTQIA mm, people. Yeah. Because something like, you know, look at uh, gay marriage. Like, the Supreme Court may say, yeah, we recognize gay marriage, but that is a medium scrutiny data point now. As soon as the Equal Rights Amendment is in place, then there is a strict scrutiny standard for protecting gay marriage, for protecting the rights of transgender people. Any law that is relying on the sex you're assigned at birth to... Define you is basically going to be invalidated, and and this will make discrimination such as the gender pay gap at the federal level illegal.
3: Right. It's also a big deal too because it it impacts things like contracts, mm. and so that's oftentimes where we find like that people have a lot of opposition, and business has a lot of opposition. But a lot of like the arguments being made too are simple, our First Amendment arguments, right, and the um, ability to like the freedom to own your business and hire who you see fit. The same arguments that were made even against, um, you know, gay marriage. Right. And are we going to force businesses to be, you know, um, and it's all bullshit, right. It's, but I do think there's a long road ahead right now. I think the government as it is right now, it's a very, very long road ahead. I think it matters. I, yeah, I think it's a shame of this country that (laughs) we haven't, that it's even an argument we're having to have. Um, But, you know, it is. And, it's not it shouldn't surprise anyone. That always that's the thing that always gets me. People are like, "Oh my god, I'm shocked." What what have you not been looking around this bitch because uh I don't know why it's just shocking this is shocking to you? This is predictable. Well,
2: it's about 80% of people across every demographic believe that these rights are already in the constitution.
3: Mhm. Oh yeah. People believe everything, right? People believe that we solved slavery when Obama, I mean, that we solved racism when Obama was elected. We didn't. Um, you know, and that's, that's a, it's a purposeful miseducation, right? As to the way things are being impacted, the ways in which, um, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, and race impact People's livelihoods, but they're still the most determinant factors on how you will do in this country, whether your children will survive, whether or not you will die in a comfortable bed or die on the streets, you know? And, but the narrative is that it's all fixed and solved because the people who write that narrative, of course, are in power. But I also think it's important to recognize we're at a point right now where white male identity has been triggered. Right, And I I don't mean that in the weird way of like what trolls in the internet are like, oh, you're triggered. I mean, as in there's an actual switch that goes off to activate white male identity. Mm -hmm. And it's been activated. And this idea that any sort of progress for people who aren't them is a threat. And I think that in this environment, we have to really look at that we're coming up against that. And we're coming up against it at a time when a lot of the people who are elected to represent us in our government we're elected on the premise of that fear. And so I think it has a long road ahead. You know, I think we have a lot of these arguments about what can arguments be made, but when we look at the way our court system is even set up right now, I think it has a very long road ahead. And I hope, I think it's important. I think it's important that we keep talking about it. I think if anything, it's important just so that we know it doesn't, it hasn't been passed. And I wish that it was something that we were willing to make a big deal of. And I mean, we as in the collective left, but even on the left, There's a huge push away from issues of of true justice and equality for marginalized populations. And and I think that that makes it even harder because we don't actually, well, if you were to stop by someone and say, do you believe women should have equal rights? Everyone would be like, yeah, sure, totally, right? I don't even think on the left we have a broad coalition that's like, let's put all we have behind this. And that really makes me sad.
0: Well, there's still, there was a post yesterday um, on BBC of uh, no surprise that it was a Buttigieg rally and it was a Trump supporter with the MAGA hat, a guy and then a, uh, it might've been a non-binary person, I'm not sure, a a female appearing um, minister in Vermont, Vermont, New Hampshire, one of them, one of the white white New England states. And, And the headline was something like, big hairy Trump supporter and liberal a, a, a hug cause this is America or some bullshit. And I, exactly. my yeah. Exactly. My, I was like, well, so I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm going to listen. I'm going to watch this video. I was like two minutes and the suppose the, the liberal person, I put that in quotes said, well, you know, we, you know, we have more in common than, or we have more in common than we think. You know, I thought the impeachment, we both agree impeachment was too rushed. First of all, fuck you. But then the second thing the guy said was, well, we agree that we want the same things, just different ways to get there. So I posted, my commentary was, if you're there involves caging children, uh, criminalizing poverty, the poor, expanding mass incarceration and destroying our education system. We don't want the same things that let's be clear. And then I had like people comment white people. Um, well, we have to start somewhere. We have to talk. (laughs) I'm like, what the fuck? What we're having two different fucking conversations right now. And what are you? I'm saying that we don't, we need to be clear. You can be BFFs with whoever you fucking want to be BFFs with be clear about what you're talking about.
1: Also, Are liberals clear on what they want?
3: No. 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 And I mean, and I think that's one of the great myths of like the, the left, right. Is that we're all in the same room because we took the same path and we want the same things. We don't. And it's complete bullshit. And what I wish is that we actually had a moral center and we don't. Um, What we have are, you know, personal interests that bring us here. But you know, the truth is, is that as, as a group, We fail our morality that we say we subscribe to all the time and people pick in this idea that's really only on the left because the right does not believe this, that you can only pick that you can pick up certain parts of liberal progressive ideology that suit you and leave the rest. Only exists on the left. Yeah. <laughs> right on the right, they're like, you know, fuck you, you're out, you're, you're in with this whole thing or you're not, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, you're gonna look for, you know, um, fiscal conservatism, but you also hate abortion, right? That's the rules of the game on that side. On this side, it's like, oh, no, 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 you can be here, you know, only for gay rights if you're a white gay man and you can, you can say that, you know, the rights people of color aren't that important, you know? Oh, you can, you know, be here just for abortion, but you know, don't worry about immigration, right? Or you can be here for a race, but you can let abortion go. Um, and we don't have a moral compass. We don't actually regularly talk about what our real values are. We give white words to it, but we don't talk about what it means as far as goals. The right has clear goals. They have legislative goals that they know will accomplish. They're really kind of gross ideals, right? For society. We don't. We have this fog. And what we're constantly doing is competing for who we're going to throw under the bus to get oh, our own personal right, goals right. achieved. And we're never going to get anywhere with that. And I would rather we go bigger. I would rather we say, you know what? I don't care if you're uncomfortable with some of these other people's rights. We're going to stand together with what's morally consistent and we're going to do it, push it forward as a block because that's the only way. We like to think right now that we can find one thing that honestly serves white men above all else and force everyone to rally behind that. And then we wonder why the enthusiasm isn't there.
0: Right. <laughs> we don't yeah. center liberation. No, we do not center liberation on yeah, the left. We, and we know not. we center white comfort. Oh yeah. We, the fact that I have to argue about Pete Buttigieg is centering white, com- 37. You didn't even know he was 37. I didn't. He's a, he's a youngin' from bump Indiana. No offense, Indiana or offense, Indiana. Um, but we're, we want to center the left center's white comfort above all else. Because mm-hmm. we don't want to be, Oh, cause of the, the, I've had more arguments about so supposed identity politics from white liberals oh, than year. anybody else.
3: Oh yeah. Just, just yesterday there was a, a Bernie supporter trying to I convince knew were me, going to Bernie. you know, that <laughs> I just really don't get that. He's really doing all of this for my benefit. <laughs> and if my, it's my identity politics, right? And you got burn splained. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. And of course, no, of course, any, every party has this version, right? Not, yeah. maybe not quite as annoying as Bernie bros are, but like absolutely have you tried to talk to someone about the issues they may have with Elizabeth Warren and hear them be like, get over it already. This is how, right. Trump, you know, it's, it's, it's bullshit. And it's all about centering, you know, Places of privilege, because the idea is there's someone else who's a problem. We don't have any concrete goals. We all want to feel good by doing the very least. Yes. Um, and we, what I always feel like is if you are a party <laughs> or a group that has an ideology, then your targets should probably be the people who don't have that. Yes. And when Say you spend that. more time attacking marginalized people, while claiming to be a group that represents marginalized people, you're doing it wrong so <laughs> and wrong. you're not going to get anywhere. And and I see so much of that right now. And even the discussions post-election, I see this all across the board, right? Because what, what I saw was definitely right. Like Bernie bros and, you know, and no, they're not all bros, no. but I'm still going to call them Bernie bros. Fuck you. I don't care. Um,
2: <laughs> Me too.
1: Doing the the, absolute worst. Right. The worst. The fucking worst. Um, The thing I wish Bernie bros would understand, though, is that, like, I want desperately to be excited about Bernie Sanders. I would fucking love to be all in with the guy. If I felt like he gave a shit about me. Yeah. Well, and and, and he seems
3: honestly, genuinely afraid of alienating these bro dudes by showing any real concern for people of color, for the LGBTQ community, for disabled people. Um, And so, you know, but. Further, like we had these du- dudes doing the absolute worst, right? And then we had like every Hillary voter that was like every Bernie supporter is why we lost. No, it's still the oh, majority of no. Trump voters. It's yeah. still yeah, like, we can't we can't pretend like go talk these to fifty three percent of white like, women
1: exactly. For like, real.
3: You know, we can't act like these assholes are um, suddenly make math not work anymore, right? <laughs> like it's not how that
0: goes. My favorite of the people who blame Russia. I'm like Russia didn't start racism in this country, so. Give like, me a
1: break. Yeah. Like no. Russia was like, hey. Look they t- it, they look were it-
0: opportunists, but weirdos, yeah. Yeah. it's not their fault.
1: It's a fuck shit salad bar. It's yeah. not like we <laughs> can it just is. like. And it's all,
3: when it comes down to it, it's all white male supremacy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like trying to yeah. duplicate itself, make sure that no matter who wins what elections, it still wins. Um, and we need to be savvier and smarter about it. And we're not. And that's why I hate this election season so much. I hate every election mm, yeah, season. Yeah. And I have a degree in political science. I used to live for this shit, <laughs> you know? Um, is honestly just watching right now how everyone is vying, um, to coddle white men. And we forget we don't actually have to do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like we, there are enough of us
0: we don't have we to We do
3: don't that. have to do it. I would love if we were just like fuck these dudes, but of course then like white women ha- would have to be like fuck you dude to their husbands and their kids and they don't want and to be. But I'm like, it. yeah, no, fuck these dudes. Um there's enough of us that even if they wanted to try and build the white male party and figure their shit out and have their own arguments, it wouldn't be enough. But we can't do that because people have you know, sold their souls to white male supremacy, even people of color, even white women, especially white women.
2: I am withholding sex until white women elect a woman president.
3: Nice. There you go.
1: <laughs> that, I mean, j- it's just... just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. I am not withholding sex. Sarah's DMs go are open. That back right now, Sarah.
2: <laughs> I've learned what a thirst trap is, and I intend to use what kind of city would you like to see Seattle become?
3: Oh my god!
0: Um, <laughs> I wish we had a picture of Joma's face when she heard that question. <laughs> it was priceless.
3: I well, you know. Okay, so the thing about when people ask me about Seattle is a lot of people think I'm an optimist, and I'm, which is weird. Um, <laughs> until. They ask me about Seattle, and they realize. I I don't think you're an optimist. That that, that there was never a child inside me to die. And um, (gasps)
0: sorry, I know that's not
3: funny, but you know, Seattle is fucked. Um, what would I like it to be? I would like it to be 30 years ago and have it make vastly different decisions. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's any saving Seattle. I don't think there is. Now this is definitely something my partner and I disagree on, right? He's, he's very like, we can do this. I'm like, no, we really can't. But, um, economically people of color are already gone. I've, you know, like my community, my black arts community, I've watched just disappear, you know, um, over the, especially this last five years or so, it's just gone. Seattle will always be home because it's beautiful and it's where my family is. But the moment my kids are gone, I'm gone. Where to? I
1: don't
3: know. Somewhere where there's more black people where I can like, (laughs) Jesus, you know, like, um, I would love to, I love a place that actually values the people that make the city great. And I know that that might sound very Pollyanna ish. Um, but Seattle is nothing without its creators of color and it's, but it's trying very hard to be. Yeah. And, uh, I don't, think there's anything saving it short of an a huge economic downturn again honestly and i don't think it can save it at this point because i we can't actually get people back that have already left yeah. and relocated and moved their families um i don't think they're saving seattle uh, i think that we i i am here fighting for the people who are here and stuck and it's a privilege to be able to say that i'll be out as soon as i can and it breaks my heart. But honestly, no, I do not think, especially this last year, mm-hmm. watching it, it. I feel like Seattle has taken full advantage of Trump's America mm-hmm. to say all we have to be is not Trump and has actually done less. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, I agree. Nobody came together over Trump. They took a breath and they were like, phew, we're Seattle. We don't have to do shit now. We don't actually have to take housing seriously. We don't actually have to take economic justice seriously, right? We can become even more anti-homeless than we were before. We can yeah. become even, you know, more of a police state than we were before. We don't actually have to pay attention to issues around salary and wages anymore. We don't have to push for any major changes anymore because we're not Trump. And that's been really disheartening to see. And I just don't think at this point it can be saved. And I'm here. I mean, I'm still here. I still love so many people here and I still want to, I want to be able to turn the lights out on Seattle when it's time. But also I'm like, Oh my God, like to to do the work I do and to live here and then walk around and see what's happening in this city. And also to like, There's something really shitty about Seattle's been very supportive of my work on paper. Mm. People will buy my books and they do. Thank you, Seattle for giving me your money. White Seattle. They will show up at events and they won't do shit, right? They'll show up. They'll listen. I'll yell. They go home. Nothing fucking happens. And people, it becomes part of the experience of Seattle to come and get yelled at by a Black woman for an hour and then, you know, feel a little bad and then say you did that and feel like that did jack shit and it didn't. And to do that work and then still watch my community continue to disappear, to have people walk up to me and say how much they love my work and then watch them force out the next person who could do something even better than me is gutting. And it makes me feel, this is absolutely not my home. Absolutely not. Because if it was, then I would feel like a valued member of the community in the sense that people would want to protect what made me and would want my family, would want people who want to do things I did or want to do something else completely wonderful and beautiful to exist and to thrive. And they don't. What they want to do is, it's, is just extract what they can out of my work and then go home and not make any real fundamental changes. And it's it's heartbreaking. And I need and deserve, honestly, <laughs> a space where at least I can feel the work or at least I can see the direct benefit of the work I do, where I can spend time with the people that I'm fighting for. And that's not it's not here.
2: Ijoma Oluo, thank you very much.
0: Thank you.
2: Thank, thank you. you. Ijoma has kindly uh, agreed to stick around with us today for um, our gratitude. So, uh, but first, Asia, uh, Ijeoma- where I, mean, I-,
3: I live here. Oh. <laughs> Wait,
2: wait.
0: <laughs> yes. What? We're in a Joma's kitchen.
2: What side of the red line am I on? <laughs> Whose <laughs> living room is this? No. That's awesome. Uh, I Asa? am
0: grateful for a book, a, a pie book called Sister Pie, and it is a bakery in Detroit. Michigan, and I have been cooking pies because the world's going to shit. And I've made, I brought a Joma pie, a strawberry, rhubarb, rosemary <laughs> with a crust I made myself. So I'm grateful to Sister Pie and that book. I've also made an aged apple Gouda pie, which I'll make that next. Um, and I'll just continue to bring meat for Chelsea. You can't have any of the pies that I make. So um, I'm grateful to Sister Pie for writing this book. And um, for having a wonderful neighborhood bakery in Detroit, and they don't deliver to Seattle. And that's awesome. I'm like, you know what? If I want the damn pie, I'm going to buy the book and make it myself or go to Detroit. So thank you, Sister Pie. Do you fly for pie? No, because that's absurd. But I would if I could. (laughs) I'm not even going to a little bit lie. I would go to Detroit to visit Sister Pie.
3: What are you grateful for, Um, (laughs) Right now, I'm really all about... Head wraps, like all mm. of them. I love them so much. They're cozy. It's cold out. Um, I've been ordering them from this place called Wrap Life Ooh, in I love Brooklyn. And they're fairly affordable, black owned business. But I decided this winter to kind of do a capsule wardrobe where I really narrowed my wardrobe down to like 50 items for three months. And then I realized, oh shit, I need accessories. Like <laughs> if I'm going to get through this. Um, and also it extends the amount of time I don't have to wash my hair. Like I wear my hair down a couple days mm-hmm. and then normally I would wash it, but I don't want to. It's the winter and I just don't like to, I have a lot of hair. I can wrap it up for, and get a couple more days out of it till it starts to smell weird. And then I wash it. And so I probably, I went from zero head wraps to probably 12, I think, in the last month. I love them, and I highly recommend Rap Life, too, because they have all these different styles, and they come fast. They're in New York, and it takes usually two to three days for me to get my wraps in, but I'm all about head wraps. I feel very like centered. I like, I feel like I look the part of like everyone's cool therapist and I'm living that life Mm -hmm. and it's winter, right? Sweater season. It all works out great. So that's really, I'm very grateful for head wraps right now. very
1: Afrocentric Dr. Susan.
3: Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I feel like in Seattle that really works too because it's like, it works, you know, luxury. Like, oh yeah, no, I got a therapist but you know, she's also exotic. (laughs) (laughs)
1: I could charge extra. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's awesome. Chelsea Alvarez, what are you grateful for this week?
1: Um, so I've been kind of crockpotting this thought for a few weeks, but I want to express gratitude to Rihanna for not releasing an album in 2019, even though she said she would. Uh, as much as I want to hear the album, I love that Rihanna does what the fuck she wants when she wants to do it the way she wants to do it I am 100% in favor of black women doing what they want
3: and I love the way she's been like trolling about it oh my god (laughs) it makes me so happy it makes me so happy I love it so much yeah no I'm fully in that camp of like awesome right and people are gonna wait (laughs) like she's like assholes just keep waiting have you met her you wait forever have you met Rihanna oh my god no I would love to. That would be amazing. I don't think I've met. My job doesn't bring me <laughs>
0: to Beyonce and Jay Z yeah. and Rihanna. No, because that's the image I have of you when you go to New York. Really? No. 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 I just, said
3: I that. just hang out. <laughs> I hang out with nerds. Like yeah. you know, I think the coolest person I hang out with
1: fairly regularly is like Jay. Smith. Jay. Yeah. yeah. I was gonna say uh, Jay. Smith. He's kind of the coolest person, though. He's like he's a great guy. He's a great yeah, guy. He's very cool. I had a previous model of, like, teaching myself self-care and self-keeping that was um, treat myself as though I were my own child, which was easy enough for me to get. 2020, my model for self-care and self-keeping is treat myself the way I would treat Rihanna if she were my girlfriend. There it is. There it is. That's uh, the jackpot. So far, so good. I'm I'm feeling it. I am treating myself very very nicely. <laughs> we'll see how my bank account feels about it in a little bit, but yeah, shout out to Rihanna.
3: I mean, just remember, capitalism is a scam. It is a scam. So oh. do whatever the fuck you want. It doesn't matter. Yep. Money's imaginary.
1: Uh, what's that What's that line from Succession? Hardly anything exists. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what are you grateful for, Sarah Mays?
1: I am grateful for Aisha
2: Hauser. <laughs> what? Hi. Oh! And for uh, how she, specifically how Asia's love language is food, <laughs> uh, and today yes, she brought pie, which I'm uh, on my way to having some. Um, and uh, uh, she brought me a big tub of rice and beans, which just kept feeding me and feeding me and feeding me. I decided to create a religious holiday around it because <laughs> it was it never stopped. It just kept. <laughs> It was a miracle. And uh, that is just such a lovely thing. Um, So thank you, Aisha.
0: Yay. Well, I look forward to feeding you more in 2020.
2: (laughs) This has been By the Sound, your community-invested podcast. Special thanks this week to Amy Kennedy for making our logos. Her work can be seen at amykennedy.com. Thanks, Amy. By the Sound is an AhoyHoy Media production. AhoyHoy!